0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today I want to welcome Dr. Matthew Barrett to the podcast. Dr. Barrett serves as associate professor of Christian theology here at Midwestern Seminary. He's also the founder and executive editor of Credo Magazine. Dr. Barrett, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you the studio today. Obviously, you're on campus here, so I bump into you regularly, and we talk about topics of ministry and theology and life, basketball, on occasion, and a few other things. So I, I bet our listeners wouldn't know, Doctor Barrett, that that you played college basketball.
1: Well, I had a short stint. Uh, you might be too generous, but uh, I love basketball. I, I I played in high school and uh, had the opportunity to to play in college. Uh, I I grew up in California, Northern California, Bay Area. And uh, went to Dominican University to play basketball. Unfortunately, in in a game, early game against UC Davis, I uh, hurt my knee and had surgery and had to call it quits. But uh, love the game. And uh, I'm a a very committed uh, Lakers fan, though I, I can't help but root for the Warriors since they're doing so well.
0: Well, As you know, I grew up a a rabid Boston Celtics fan, and I'm not rabid anymore, but I do still keep an eye on them, and they're looking promising these days. So you and I have had much to talk about going back to the 1980s and the rivalry that was the Boston Celtics-Los Angeles Lakers rivalry. Um, And on this campus right now, we have a student center that is just about done. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the student center, as you know, we're having a hardwood floor, and it is a nice hardwood floor. The same company that did the uh, University of Kansas, Allen Fieldhouse Court, is doing ours, so it's going to be really nice. So I I have great hopes for you on that basketball court, (laughs) Dr. Barrett.
1: Well, if it's not me, I'm certainly going to get my kids out there, and I'm already... Uh, both of my my two oldest girls are already playing basketball, and we're training them in the ways of the Lord.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Well, listen, you're, we're here in the studio. You now are beginning your second year at Midwestern Seminary, and uh, not just looking for a promo for the institution here to our listeners, but but a word about uh, your, your own family, how you're doing, the transition, what you're enjoying about your time in Kansas City, and your time here.
1: You know, we love Kansas City for all kinds of reasons. Uh, we, we've been talking sports, and of course the Chiefs and the Royals are, and Jayhawks are, are really big here, so we enjoy all of that. We also just, as a family, really enjoy getting to explore Kansas City. I was just uh, last weekend taking uh, Charlie, my my son, down to the Kansas City Soda Shop uh, right by the River Market and um, just in, enjoying... Uh, One of the best sodas in Kansas City, and uh, of course, others would would prefer coffee, but that's okay. Uh, And, you know, as a family, I think that we've integrated really well here, not just in Kansas City, but into the Midwestern community, Uh, getting to have relationships with colleagues now that we have our new faculty uh, wing open, uh, relationships with with other colleagues, as well as students. Uh, I just came from my office and had a student in there and uh, wrestling over doctrine and, and how to apply it to his ministry. Um, it makes for just a wonderful atmosphere for students to learn theology as well as for faculty families to uh, get to know students and other uh, faculty families and uh, uh, really have fellowship with one another.
0: You know it, this is such a sweet season here, and uh, you guys and your family being here is certainly essential to that. But I tell people when I was called to Kansas City, my wife and I neither of us had ever been to Kansas City. I mean I went through as a kid very briefly, but had no real you know working awareness of the city. We've well, God was calling us here, we agreed to come. The search committee had held the interviews in, in remote locations, so those were not in Kansas City. And really the afterthought of the city itself, uh, the, 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 the city itself was an afterthought. And then you, you believe God's calling you here, you get settled, and then you kind of wake up six months six months into it and realize, man, this is an incredible city to live in. And it really is. I mean, the, the amenities here, the culture here, the sports teams, it really, it, the barbecue, the jazz, I mean, it, it really is a, a great city to be in.
1: Not we we shouldn't forget also the Kansas City uh, the history of the Kansas City Mafia. That's right, Los. that's right, and uh, uh, there are ma-
0: many good books on there. One of my favorite is uh, "The Mafia and the Machine," mm-hmm. which is a great book about the political machinery, the Pentagraphs machine, and the mafia and how that's interconnected. And so, yeah, I mean every every aspect of the city is just is just intriguing.
1: I think most people aren't aware of it, uh, just how rich its history is and uh, how much there is here to do and, and and just to enjoy as a family.
0: Yeah. So one other tidbit. Speaking of the mafia, the mafia historically was concentrated in North Kansas City, and there was a a series of uh, of times in the nineteen seventies when the FBI actually used our campus to eavesdrop on the mafia, and uh, especially the uh, Carl De was one of the one of the overlords here in Kansas City. And uh, anyway, it, it's just a rich history of even with close proximity to this campus, and
1: you can still go to authentic Italian restaurants. Some not too far from my house, actually. Uh, and, and those families that run still, those restaurants, still all those restaurants there. It, it, you, and you know what? Honestly, there's there's sort of this vibe uh, going on. My my uh, wife and I went recently. And we, you know, of course, had uh, authentic Italian food. But right next to us sat down a, a whole table of priests. And we just felt like we were in, you know, one of the, the classic mafia movies.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, be careful. I don't need you to wind up <laughs> sleeping with the fishes. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, like Luca Bragia So, here we are. Let's talk about something even more intriguing. That is the the pastor in systematic theology. And obviously, you teach systematic theology here, Matthew. You're uh, gifted as an author and a teacher. And it's good that we talk about this today. So, so I guess— The question is this, for those listening who typically are ministers and pastors, seminary students, why systematic theology?
1: Well, systematic theology differs from, say, some of the other disciplines like biblical theology. Biblical theology is like a a linear line in which you're progressing from Genesis to Revelation. And you're trying to understand the story. You're trying to understand the themes therein. You're trying to understand how you move from Adam to the last Adam. Systematic theology takes us one step further. It's more like a, a circle than a line, in which we're trying to understand how we put the whole Bible together on any particular doctrine of the faith. Maybe it's the Trinity, the person of Christ, or maybe eschatology. And so we're synthesizing that word there is, is really intentional to not only sta- understand what the whole Bible says about any particular doctrine, but how God has revealed himself and how each of those doctrines relate to one another. Uh, and so, good systematic theology is not just a a mere summary of the biblical data, but it moves beyond that to actually show the logic of God's revelation in Jesus Christ.
0: So, if you're a preacher and you're you're typically you know studying fifteen twenty plus hours a week, and many of listen to this podcast are they may think of themselves primarily, let's say, as a, a biblical theologian, or, or more even technically as an exegetical theologian, working and wrestling through passages of Scripture week to week, Mm. I guess help to frame that for our listeners today, biblical theology in particular versus systematic theology, and and, and give a a nudge to not just think, you know, about this text before me this Sunday and what truth is contained therein, or even towards how this text this Sunday connects to other key texts, but how this text this Sunday and the theological topics or issues contained therein connect and why they should connect and why we should connect them to the broader kind of
1: framework of systematic theology? Well, first of all, I need to say that task is that you've just described is absolutely necessary. In fact, it's one, we, we might deny it, but it's actually one we do whether we realize it or not. Uh, the, the early church fathers are a good guide uh, for us here. Uh, they looked to what was called the rule of faith, uh, which essentially was a basic outline of the gospel and and who God was who God is and what he's done in history to bring about uh, his the people of God. And so as they were interpreting any particular text, maybe in a preparation to preach that Sunday, they were always making sure their interpretation of that text was not only consistent with say the immediate context or even the rest of the canon but was also consistent with the whole teaching of the Christian faith, uh, what they called the rule of faith. So, if they're interpreting, say, Colossians one, uh, and this is a this is a reality in the fourth century, if they're interpreting, say, Colossians one, and they start to come to the conclusion that well, maybe Jesus isn't eternal, maybe he isn't the Son of God, maybe he's above creation. Well, the rule of faith would pull them back in mm-hmm. and remind them that God has revealed Himself throughout the entire canon, and his revelation does tell us who Jesus is and how that doctrine should affect our interpretation of a particular text of Scripture. So, in other words, it acts as a a guard uh, and a a very healthy fence uh, to keep us from, say, heresy. It also uh, helps us to, whether it's in preaching itself or maybe it's in the application of what you've said Uh, It helps us to, I mentioned the word synthesize, synthesize one doctrine with another so that as we are applying a particular text, we are doing so in light of every doctrine of the faith. So perhaps we're coming to certain uh, applications about uh, union with Christ. We're making sure that those applications are consistent with the person of Christ, not just the work of Christ.
0: So, again, thinking of those who are ministering the Word on a weekly basis, and you touched on this very topic of, of taking a passage and interpreting it in light of, of the broader storyline of Scripture and you know, the hermeneutical principle of of not reading you know clearer passage through the lens of the, the more obscure passage, but, but reversing that order, interpreting, making sense of the more obscure passages through the many passages that are clear and that shed light on it. So I guess my point is, for guys who are preaching, um, they're sort of doing systematics whether they realize it or not, kind yeah. of day-to-day or they not.
1: That's absolutely right. It's just a matter of whether they are doing systematics and theology Biblically. Right. Um, it's not a matter of whether we're doing it. Uh, yeah, you've you've described just now a key hermeneutical principle, which is the analogy of Scripture, in which we are interpreting one Scripture in light of another. Like you said, um, interpreting a, a difficult passage for us to understand in light of a very clear one. And this is key whenever we're not just interpreting Scripture, but any doctrine of the faith. But we could also expand this and not just talk about the analogy of Scripture, but the analogy of the faith, in which we're interpreting any one or two passages, especially if they're difficult, in light of the theology of Scripture as a whole, so that uh, it's informing our exegesis of the passage, and our exegesis of that passage, and in preaching our application of the passage is leading us back to uh, the testimony of God and, and what he, who he is and what he's done um, by means of his Son.
0: So let's think again of ourselves in this conversation, talking in particular to those who are engaged in a, a ministry of the Word, whether it's preaching, teaching, ladies' Bible studies, counseling sessions, whatever, but, but a, a ministry of the Word. How does knowing systematic theology help one with a ministry of the Word to, to better fulfill that ministry?
1: you know thomas aquinas who was a medieval theologian uh, one that not too many are familiar with today but one of the greatest theologians in, in church history he defined uh, theology as theology being from god theology being about god and theology leading to god i love that definition it, it's basic but it's so profound and if you think about it it th- that means theology should saturate all of ministry from beginning to end. First and foremost, we are recognizing the authority of God and the authority of His spoken and written word, that's the, the theological conclusions we're coming to. Those are gifts that God has given to us. Uh, we're not speculating, we're not um, going off of our own religious experience, we're looking to His revelation to understand who he is and what he's done. And then we we are then taking that next step to understand not just who he is and what he has done, but then how he then has worked in redemptive history to to really breathe out no, not only his word, but the people of God. And then finally... If theology is from God and about God, it also should lead us to God. And so, in the preaching event itself, we're not just telling our people who God is, but, but we are taking their hand. And through Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, we are leading them back to God. So, from doctrine to discipleship to, doc, to doxology and worship itself, theology pervades that entire process, not just for the minister, but for any layperson.
0: Dr. Barrett, let's pause just for a moment for a a brief word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, Your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. All right, I'm back with Dr. Matthew Barrett talking about the pastor and systematic theology. You think about the threshold to enter into the ministry. Uh, I, I serve in a Southern Baptist context where a free church tradition, and, and, and I'm grateful for that. I'm even proud of that. And so one doesn't have to have, you know, three seminary degrees or even a seminary degree to, to, to preach in a local church, right? That local church is responsible for calling out the called and, and, and setting a person apart for the ministry of the word, at the same time, uh, we all have witnessed some train, some train wrecks from there being an insufficient degree of, um, of scrutiny, of review, of, um, of, of interview, we might say. So for me, one of the things I determined and developed early ministry was a, a pretty thorough list of ordination questions for those who would be in the ministry. And uh, it, frankly, was just a multi-page primer on systematic theology. I guess even as, a, as an entrance into the ministry, as far as one being, okay, you're ready, You're established enough to be able to get behind the pulpit or behind the lectern or even sit across the coffee table and teach without this being hazardous theologically. Uh, How should we think of that as far as a basic grasp of systematic theology?
1: I really like the approach you've just mentioned uh, from your own history. Actually, I share that approach. Uh, I used to pastor a church in California, and uh, myself and the elders uh, of that church at the time, we came together and sat down at the table and said, you know what, it's so important to make sure that the people in leadership are those who not only know how to interpret Scripture, but are consistent with the entire faith uh, that, that, as Paul talks about with Timothy and Titus, they they believe and are able to teach sound doctrine that we too uh, formulated a list of, of questions and they were basically doctrinal questions that worked from the doctrine of scripture to the doctrine of God, all the way through the doctrine of church and, and even eschatology it's, I can't stress it enough. It doesn't, I, I should be, uh, give a word of caution. It doesn't need to be so meticulous that no one can enter into church leadership. That wouldn't be wise or biblical, but it should be rigorous enough uh, that uh, a person who who is called to the ministry, or, or maybe it's, it's just a, a lay elder, uh, is thinking through uh, tough theological questions to make sure that They are going to teach in accordance with God's word. Uh, Part of this process, too, is not just for that particular leader, but it's for the church as a whole, right? Because let's face it, that person has a huge responsibility to then turn and to shepherd the sheep, uh, whether it's counseling or preaching or maybe small group discipleship. They are entrusted with teaching those people uh, not just what any particular text says, but uh, what they are to believe about, say, the person of Christ or the Holy Spirit or the Trinity or the doctrine of providence. Every single one of those doctrines and so many others have real application to everyday life. And if we get doctrine wrong, we can go about the Christian life in a way that can be disastrous. So for those in the
0: pulpit ministry, how would you encourage them as it relates to Bringing the, theological or, or systematic theological jargon to the pulpit. Now, obviously, we want to preach the text, but we also are called to connect dots, to draw lines. Uh, I encourage students unquestionably when you come across terms in the Bible, uh, engage those, explain those. Don't don't you know don't don't gloss over propitiation. Don't hide from election. You know, unpack glorification. We need to unpack these terms. So clearly, if it's textual, if it's a biblical term, we need to use. How do you encourage students? one step away from that, when it's maybe not a a biblical term, but it's a helpful theological term to expose the people of God to. When should they bring that to bear? When is it a bit much?
1: You know, it it honestly, it takes some wisdom and a little bit of of experience sometimes uh, making the wrong decisions. Uh, I would advise pastor... Well, first of all, I should just say that task is to be done. It it must... The pastor must be about introducing terms to his congregation Part of the reason for this is we live in 2018, and uh, let's just face it, 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 its you can't just necessarily, qu- as nice as this would be, you can't just quote a biblical text. Uh, all it takes is a Mormon or Jehovah Witness to show up to your door, and they're quoting the same text. So uh, it's necessary, even uh, efficient, to then say, okay, can we use a term, even an extra biblical term? Not to go against the text, but to actually help clarify and even protect the text and its true meaning. So it's, it's, a, it's a crucial ta- task uh, that every pastor must be aware of. But to your question, I would say to pastors out there, it takes wisdom. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're coming into, into a church, uh, just go slow. It may, you need to get to know the people in your church before you just start throwing out all kinds of voca- theological vocabulary that they may or may not even know or be aware of. But once you, you your church trusts you and uh, you have a relationship with them, it's it's really an imperative to start to to teach them. Uh, and, and part of that process means introducing them to theological terms. Uh, you you've mentioned some that that are going to clarify what the text says, but then also how they should put the whole faith together. Now, one practical way to do this is. Uh, even in your own preaching, as you're maybe, maybe you're on a preaching series through the book of Exodus and you are clearly bumping up again and again against the glory of God, the power of God, even the providence of God during very difficult times for Israel. It can be very helpful to, to maybe pause in certain sermons and, and in light of what the text says, pause and say, well, well, what, what should we believe about God's providence? Is he learning as he goes or is he actually uh, one who's sovereign and actually has a plan for Israel, even in the midst of this horrendous evil? Those moments are, are incredible opportunities to take a step back and introduce a little bit of theology, even if it's bite-sized, to your congregation. You'd be surprised over 10, 20, 30 years how mature your congregation will be, and, and perhaps they'll be ready at some point to actually sit down in maybe a small group setting and read through a theology book.
0: You know, and, and to remind your people of these truths and remind it sometimes maybe a generous assessment. Maybe they never learned them in the first place, but there is a joy in rediscovery. And, and I found myself preach yesterday, Lord's Day, Sunday, James 1, 5 through 8, and uh, this great passage in the hindsight of considered all joy, my brother, if you encounter various trials. Then verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And of course, the question we want to ask God in trials is why, Right. And so I just found myself kind of in a you know three-minute digression where I said, and and as a reminder, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God is fully sovereign, and God indeed is working for good in the lives of his people. So, so just a, th- a three-minute cover fire where I didn't get into you know all the counterpoints there, but just to remind people what it means for God to be sovereign, that he's in control of our lives, that there's not a blade of grass tumbling across the parking lot, but that he did not ordain. And so to remind them just just briefly in a three-minute digression as to who God is, and to drop those in strategically in sermons does help over time to accrue to a a healthier, a better understanding of of the God who is in Scripture, right?
1: You know, the basic meaning of theology is the study of God, and we sometimes think of that in in just very scientific terms. The queen of the sciences. Yes, the queen of the sciences, but but really in a very practical sense, especially for the the pastor in the midst of of ministry and and sometimes difficult situations— uh, we don't want to over-complic- overcomplicate this. Uh, sometimes it, like like you did, it's a matter of just taking back and maybe for three or five minutes, having a a, a bit of a, a rabbit trail in order to just remind the church, who God is, and in your case, talking about God's sovereignty can bring incredible comfort right. to those who are suffering in and, the church.
0: And to, and to, because you don't have time, usually, nor is it necessarily helpful to say, well, in the world today, you got three different views of God, or seven different main yeah. views of God, and to give them a potpourri, no, just to say, as Bible-believing Christians. So you're putting a caveat there, But and then yeah. to introduce them to the stream of, of historic Christian orthodoxy.
1: That's exactly right. What that will do is not only help them in that moment but it it will teach them, as they go about the Christian life and sometimes really difficult times, even as a church, it will teach them to uh, really stay together as a church, united around doctrine itself and and this might seem uh well, it might be a surprise to some to say this because sometimes the popular mantra out there is, "Well, doctrine divides but actually if if we really understand what doctrine is, it's meant to unite us and Nowhere did did God uh, intend for this to be seen in a a more beautiful sense than in his church. And so I encourage pastors all the time to say, you know, as uh, using wisdom uh, as you go about ministry, look for those opportunities. Maybe it's just a a three-minute opportunity in a a small talk to your church. Maybe it's actually doing an entire Sunday school class Mm -hmm. on, say, sanctification or the Trinity, whatever the opportunity is. Grab hold of those, and as your church matures, you will find that doctrine isn't just, well, something we need to tag on, but it's actually instrumental in the maturity and the sanctification of your entire church.
0: So we have to wrap this up here in just a moment because I have a meeting to get to, and you have a class to get to, to teach. But uh, I want to kind of land the plane with a couple of final questions for you, Dr. Barrett. But before I do that, one other observation. You know, back to this whole idea of of, of using doctrinal words in the pulpit— Sometimes you come across those in the text, right, a word you need to deal with. But sometimes it's not that particular word, but it's the action that's taking place. And so, for instance, I found myself in times saying, really, in this passage today, we see we see it in summary form the, the doctrine of sanctification playing out. Here's what's going on in the life of David. see God working in his life. You know, so there are ways where sometimes the word isn't there, but, but the action is. In this text today, if you follow the storyline, brothers and sisters, you see the, the wonderful providence of God unfolding. And this is what we know about God's providence, you see. And so to our listeners, I just want to say, look for the words, but also beyond the words, the movement in the text itself. Oftentimes there is a a topic of theology that is, that is just crying out for you to introduce it to the church. So I want to con- conclude with two questions here. Number one, uh, for pastors listening, um, a good systematic theology or two or three to equate themselves with. And uh, my second question, which we'll get to momentarily, is more at the lay level, a, a primer or two or more entry-level systematic theology would encourage our listeners to expose their people to. So first for the pastors, we're assuming perhaps more education, more interest, more previous knowledge.
1: Well, I think for pastors, and I'm a big advocate of reading some of the classics in theology, uh, they're sometimes just as good, if not better, than some of the more contemporary works. Uh, I would recommend to every pastor uh, John Calvin's Institutes, and it's not a surprise uh, to you that I'm saying this, not just because they're full of doctrine and not just because Calvin is showing you how to interpret the text or to put the whole Christian faith together, but you will be surprised just how pastoral he is. He so easily moves from a very difficult, complex doctrine to how that doctrine is applicable to the Christian life or to the church. So uh, work, I I remember um, a while back uh, talking with uh, Tom Schreiner, who's a good friend, and Tom is a New Testament scholar. And he told me, uh, and and he was, he's, still, and he was for uh, many years, uh, preaching pastor at Clifton Baptist Church. And he, I was so encouraged because he told me uh, he would put Calvin's Institutes by his bedside and every, every t- night before bed, he would just take maybe 10, 15 minutes and would read Calvin's Institutes. And he found over the course of a year doing that, uh, his understanding of the Christian faith was so enriched and his preaching became far more uh, biblically based and, and, and far more theologically minded. Uh, for, for those uh, in the pew... Hey, well, let's stay, stay with the
0: first point first. So, so I want to agree. Um, I want to um, also interject here a resource that might be a touch more accessible, and this might kind of bridge between the serious layperson and the pastor, and that is a James Montgomery's Bo- James Montgomery Voice's Foundations of the Faith. Have you ever read that? Yes, yes. So as you know, he preached through Calvin's Institutes, essentially is what that book is, and yep. it's great. And by my bed right now actually is that book, The Foundation yep. of the Faith. I read it a couple of times over the years, and I just pulled it out. Over the summer, just to kind of reread through because it's yeah. such a, a wonderful introduction. It's more than an introduction, really. It's a pastoral application of Calvin's Institutes, and obviously, I'm a Baptist, so there's you know things there to chew on and other things to spit out. But but yeah. you know to be able to engage that, so you're getting kind of the, the richness of of Calvin, but also pastorally preached through you know the great preachers and theologians of of the late twentieth century.
1: I think that's a, an excellent way to do that, especially if you're thinking you're listening to this and you're thinking wow, you know, tackling two volumes in theology sounds overwhelming. A guide like that can be crucial. Another similar one would be Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Uh Theology. He's not trying to to show you why everything's connected so much as he's giving you a summary of Christian doctrine, but that is very helpful, just understanding um, what you should believe about each doctrine of the faith.
0: Yeah, and and look, there is no perfect systematic theology. There just isn't. I mean, there's some great resources out there. If you read a book, you're gonna come across things that puzzle you, perhaps some things that, that you disagree with. Uh, years ago, I took a, a group of laymen uh, through Grudem systematic theology. You know, in a, in a breakfast Saturday morning men's study, and there are things there obviously that uh, along the way, especially around the gifts and, and issues like that, that. Um, that explain you know, why why a different view, but, but that's okay. I mean that, that's accessible. There's application built in. There's you know hymns built
1: in. You can really digest that. And even a person in the pew can digest that pretty well. That's exactly right. Uh, it and that's a great opportunity. Uh, a men's breakfast is an excellent over bacon and eggs. Uh, it, what what better opportunity could there be to to dive into a systematic theology, whether it's Grudem or someone else. I would also say, you know, maybe for uh, a lay person as well, maybe maybe all these works sound intimidating. Michael Horton just wrote a work not too long ago called uh, The Pilgrim Faith. Mm-hmm. And it's short. It's not very long. I think it's probably 250 pages. Uh, and in brief chapters, he works through the major doctrines of the faith and does so in a way that not just summarizes what the whole Bible says about, um, say, the Holy Spirit or, or the Trinity, but actually... Uh, One chapter leads into the other as he demonstrates how each doctrine is connected to the next.
0: You know, I'm reminded, and I'll conclude with this anecdote. Many, many years ago now, close to 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, my wife and I were just exploring perhaps homeschooling. Our children then, they were, you know, whatever, toddler entering into preschool age. And I remember we had this conversation. I said, I wonder if there are like any materials out there for homeschooling. Little did I know, you begin to look, and there's like a, a universe of materials. And so the challenge was sifting through what was most helpful for us. So those listening, I say, look, there is a, there's a galaxy of resources out there, even on the area of systematic theology. Some are short, some are longer, some are very dense, some are more manageable. And if you ask some questions, ask your pastor, email a good seminary professor, and they can point you to something that strikes you just where you are, your ability to grapple with it, to read it, to apply it. And so with that... Dr. Barrett, uh, you have a class to get to and have a meeting to get to, so we better call it it a wrap. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.